2: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
1: Hey, wanna welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is Oval. And uh, Oval is your home for great storytelling and some opinions on all things, well, basketball, but also just stick and ball sports. We continue with Josh Lucas. This is our part two with the former director of Player Personnel. With the Chicago Bears and uh, in part one we talked about his uh, turbulent past as a kid growing up in Ohio took him to Harvard where he played football but for a very short period of time because his body kind of failed him and he eventually found his way to Jacksonville and the NFL that, that's kind of where we we left off and 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 his story starts to take a little bit of a turn but before we get to Josh let's kind of recap some wild times in college basketball in terms of the actual teams, right? Think about the week we've had already. Now uh, you go back on the weekend with Purdue losing and during the week, UConn gets not beaten, but blown out by Cre- by guy, Cashworth, Splashworth, Steven Ashworth. It's three after three and the blue Jays, show themselves to be at least partially the team that so many of us expected them to be when uh, the preseason rankings came out. And, and some of this is about, you know, styles make the fight and you're at home and you're able to set the tempo and you're able to kind of play your game. Some of it is, hey, look, they got an older veteran team. And when they are starting hitting shots, and they're playing their game. And some of it is, UConn didn't play well, didn't react well to the university and they have been playing in a magic level, right? It's hard for a college kid to get done beating, you know, Marquette who they think they have to beat in order to win their league. And now you go to Creighton, who's been a little bit disappointing and get up to that same level, especially you're playing on the road. So there's a lot of college basketball stuff to get to, right? Purdue, UConn losing both on the road, but losing a lot of the, the turbulence with transfer portal and NIL. Coaches speaking out about it, whether it's uh, Rick Pitino talking about his team, which he since apologized for. You, you kind of name it. You go through Mike Boynton talking about where Oklahoma State sits it, with uh, NIL in the Big 12, and it's led to struggles in recruiting. Uh, coaches kind of speaking out and calling out and pointing out that their teams might not be as good as advertised. Hasn't necessarily landed well with a lot of fans, but there's also very few, if any, lies that are told. And so maybe it's like a PR list. All right, we'll circle back. We'll get to that. So in college basketball, you got just some craziness with um, the ups and downs, the ebbs and flows, the wins, the losses. You have the coaches trying to figure out the new world order and There's been varying degrees of success both throughout the season or as the season goes on. Younger teams are getting better. I mentioned Oklahoma State. They just beat Cincinnati for their first road win of the year. UCLA, although they lost to Utah at home, a blind man can see that Mick Cronin with his young crew, they're starting to uh, figure it out, Um, as opposed to a team like in Indiana, which has just been a complete thud. So you got all different types of teams. Different types of spending in terms of NIL, you have some incredible stories. Uh, Let's first give a little respect to the Mountain West, backing up San Diego State playing for a national championship with the type of year they're having, where you could very—I don't want to say easily, but you could definitely see six teams getting into the NCAA tournament. That's true. Sixteen. Boise started out a little slow this year, but. Man, they've come on strong. Utah State's been the surprise of the league. Um, we know what San Diego State brings to the table. They'll make the tournament. Where you see them, that's going to be hard. You got Colorado State, which, of course, started out with a, such a great start. Uh, then hit a lull. Just lost to New Mexico in a great game. Speaking of New Mexico, you got New Mexico. And then you got Nevada. I mean, what an incredible League And the, the other cool part about the league, so many of the games played in altitude makes road games even harder, but also amazing places to go to games. You know, the AAS is no longer new. It's 25 years old, but still really cool. The pit um, to me is one of the iconic spots in all of college basketball. The D. D Glenn Spectrum Events Center, just called the Spectrum to the folks in Logan at Utah State. Awesome place. Kind of finally getting its due with Stu Morrill in his uh, name on the court. You know, Boise State's not like special as an arena, uh, but as a city, it's like the coolest city you'll never visit. And they're really good. Plus, I love watching Max Rice and, and uh, Tyson uh, uh go at it. They've been buddies forever. And Max Rice is like, a he's literally like uh, a grown up playing with kids, <laughs> not just in terms of his age and his experience, but. Just the way he carries himself being a coach's son and being around it all this time. I I mean, I'd tell you where where, uh, Wyoming's arena, since it's been redone, is awesome. I love you know, I I know that they need to redo it, but uh, Moby is really cool at Colorado State. I mean, they still have the hoops that come down from the ceiling, even on the sides, you know, bleacher seating, but they've done a lot with a little and more than anything, like the arenas don't matter when they're full. They're full, they're loud, they're really, really cool. Who am I forgetting? I Lawler, blah, blah, blah. San Jose State, no. Uh, Fresno, God, that thing has just been a disaster since they went to the Save Mart Center. It's too big. And obviously they're not great, but it's just too big. But those top teams you know, outside of Nevada, which, you know, altitude tough place to play. Team that can really shoot, older team. But in terms of the actual venues, amazing. And now you have the teams to kind of match the venues and you got incredible crowd support. And I'm not sure Uh, if it's the success of San Diego State, success of the league, the fact that the league, while it's on TV, it's on Fox Sports 1, it's on uh, ESPN some, it's on CBS Sports Network. But it, it, it doesn't feel like TV has taken away from those markets the way it has some programs, you know, where every game being on TV kind of diminishes it. I don't know. They, they draw really well. It's a great league, and it's finally getting kind of its due. And you know, I, I don't think it has a team that will win a national championship. But it wouldn't stun me to see the Mountain West have a couple of teams in the second weekend. Something that struggle to do, Struggle to do. But there's there's a discussion there to have six teams in. Probably get five. Definitely get four. But you know, I'm like, go through the Pac-12 and try and find me. Even a second team, like Washington State's a great story, but even a second team that belongs in the field. So the Mountain West to me is probably the second most competitive conference at the top with NCAA tournament teams. Like that's a lot. It's a big sentence, Doug. I, I get it. I mean, like, look, do I think those teams are as good as, frankly, you know, even though the ACC is down like Duke and North Carolina, No. No, and they don't have the budget to, to but the rest of the ACC, what does the, the kids say? They're mid. Yeah, kind of mid. Kind of mid. But then you have the Big 12, which is a gauntlet, although should be pointed out. Feels like Oklahoma's taking on some water here. They got a, they got a big, they got a week off and they got a big one at Oklahoma State, a game they probably should have lost at home. And Oklahoma State's won, I think, three home games in a row. And now they won a road game, feeling with some confidence. Uh, OU is the team, that one team that could slip on the bubble from the Big 12 if they're not careful. They had a very good non-conference. The problem is the teams that they beat in the non-conference from Providence to Iowa to USC haven't had particularly good years, so they don't look like as good wins as they really were. Uh, still, the top of that league, Houston, probably going to win the league. Kansas, uh, Tech, Baylor, heck, BYU just popped Baylor. They can really shoot the basketball. Oh, holy cow, can they, when it's going in. TCU, and then, you know, you look at, at, a, at a team like Oklahoma and wondering whether or not they'll they'll make the field. So, kind of similar there in the, there was talk of 9 or 10. K-State's not getting in. West Virginia's not getting in. Oklahoma State's not getting in. Um, Cincinnati, I don't believe, is getting in. But we're kind of working on it. Central Florida's not, not getting in. Uh, you know, then you got Texas sitting there. They'll get in but how dangerous are they and texas is scheduled because of the expectations because the name of texas kind of backloaded going to be difficult i'm fascinated by the big 12 to me it goes big 12 one mountain west two mountain i, I did say mountain west two um and then you know you got the big east at the top is very good the Big Ten has one team kind of alone at the top, but then the, a second group, which is solid, fine. SEC, crazy talented. I mean, talent-wise, probably the best league a- athletic talent. That's when they're beating up on each other. We just saw Kentucky lose to LSU. Uh, and then, you know, like, I, I love Tennessee. They've had some uneven performances, like losing to South Carolina at home, and then South Carolina's fought on hard times. You got Alabama. Man, can they really score? They win another game at home. SEC has a lot of talent and some of it is because it's the the richest conference and they turn around and use that in NIL. It's kind of no secret there. And then speaking of NIL, if you're listening to this, you're probably a basketball guy or basketball woman. You're all welcome. We got to have a legit discussion about what this offseason is going to look like because When the district court judge struck down the NCAA's rule where you can't limit second transfers for players, it sent shockwaves in college basketball. Because now if you can transfer a second time without penalty, when can't you transfer? And now with all the numbers being thrown around, whether they're real or not, and you might ask yourself, well, how are these numbers not real? I'll tell you. They calculate, some schools will calculate the numbers. They almost all calculate cost of attendance, um, your Pell Grant, if you can qualify for one, Alston money, which is like, I think $6,500 $6, a year, it's a 10 month, right? A year, and Alston money can be determined by each school some form of academic achievement, whatever, and remarkably, all these guys get Alston money. You know, they're all eligible and they're all getting all some money. And then, you know, there's some shady stuff done with cars where people will calculate the value of the car that they'll give you to drive, but it's not your car to keep. I mean, look, you're driving a 50, dollars 70, $80,000 car, sometimes a little bit more than that. It's not your car, but that's all calculated into the value of the package they're putting forward, even if you're not keeping that car. So what guys actually make? I got no idea. But that's how it's kind of all put together. And now you you start to wonder, okay, are we going to have a record setting number of players in the portal because they can transfer and they all think they're going to get more money elsewhere? And maybe they are. Or maybe they're not. We, We live in absolutely crazy times. An absolutely crazy time. And I do think the best thing you can do is hold on to your players. So it should be about retention. Can you build in these contracts retention bonuses? That's a great question. I don't know the answer. And then let's let's discuss the Caitlin Clark. Um, I don't have animus towards Jay Williams. I, I really don't. I know his ghostwriter for his book. And uh, his book was a kind of a passion project of his for years. And I think he went through some writers and he he said some fairly unflattering things about me in the book. What's crazy about it is like I always had a good relationship with Jay Will. And even after the book or when the book came out, you know, he sends me notes how much, how badly he wants to work with me because we respect each other and we have no problem going back and forth. On that said, he kind of stepped in it with the Caitlin Clark thing. And, and I actually agree with him. If his premise was, Caitlin Clark's not the greatest of all time, but that's not what he said on the set of game day on the set of game day. He said, I reserve great for people who win championships, which is like straight out of the first take playbook. Right. And and there's no real playbook. They just, but you watch, you assimilate, you learn. He's a bright guy. He, he knows the drill and he's been on those shows before, but he was also covering the NBA for a long time. And, it's a little bit more of an NBA mantra. You know, if you're really the one of the all-time greats, you got to win a title. College sports is so different. You know, it just is. I, I understand, like, if you stay four years and your team doesn't win, like, I, I think it's a legit discussion when Ben Simmons' team didn't make the NCAA tournament. That's a legit discussion. Like, are you really any good if you can't lead your team to the NCAA tournament? You're at LSU and you have a really good roster. Like, uh, it's. Gr- I I think the answer is you, you clearly aren't a winning player and don't know at that point in time. On the other hand, you know Ben Simmons was a freshman. He didn't know it. Like freshmen don't know anything. But we've seen other freshmen come and and figure it out. And Carmelo Anthony won a national championship. Had a lot of help, but and played for a Hall of Fame coach. But but nonetheless, we've seen guys contribute more in terms of Caitlin Clark, like. We're not giving her a pass. Iowa's fine. They're a good team. You know, they've always been a 25-win team or 20-25-win to team. They got to the national championship game. They beat a way more talented South Carolina team and lost to a ridiculously more talented LSU team. Like, LSU's an all-star team. And then they went out and added Haley Van List this year. So the first thing is times have changed in that, especially in the women's game, even in college baseball. Like LSU was so loaded last year in college baseball, nobody's beating them. They were so loaded last year in women's basketball, nobody's beating them. And the only thing that can beat them now is chemistry issues, complacency, etc. But is Caitlin Clark the greatest women's basketball player of all time? No, I I'm okay not saying that. You know, but is she great by any metric? You know, the, the thing that was interesting was he talked about doing things that are iconic. And, you know, are generational and will last. And I'm like, well, if you're the all time scoring leader in women's basketball, like, isn't that a historic achievement? So I think where Jay Will made a mistake, I'm going to give him a little bit of a pass here, is he was talking about greatest of all time and he wanted to pump the brakes. If he was talking about just being a great player, an all time great in in women's college basketball, Kate and Clark. This isn't uh, the University of Detroit where you have a guy play with three-point shots and play a couple years longer than Pete Maravich and still not able to break the record and have to buy games in the CBI in order to do that. That, That's what happened last year. No, this is the woman who's in her fourth year in college basketball. Granted, she's been helped out by the three-point shot, but so Kelsey Plum played during the three-point era and in season, like she didn't even have to in less games. She's the all-time scoring leader in women's college basketball. And, and she lead the country in assists, and they win. They went to the national championship game last year. So by any metric, she's great. Is she the greatest of all time? That's subjective. I'd probably agree. You know, with Brianna Stewart, did, she won four national titles, but she played with a loaded team. And I don't know. I'm old enough to remember Cheryl Miller, Ham Woodard, the, the other all-time greats. But I'm I'm not necessarily a great judge because I haven't watched women's college basketball. I have watched recently because I like watching Caitlin Clark play. I like the way that team passes the ball. I love the fact that she's basically a chick version of of Steph Curry, right? Um, she's like Sabrina Ionescu captured some people's attention, but Caitlin Clark has captured everybody's attention. Why? Well, because she did it last year in the Final Four, which is something that great players do. So I if he meant greatest of all time, he actually has a friendly place here uh for me to give him a pass. If he mentioned if he means just being great, you know, that's dumb. And nobody agrees with you. Let's get to Josh Lucas. Here's part two. An all ball.
3: Angie can even help with extremely specific projects. Just tell them what you need and Angie will find the right solution for you. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today.
1: You're at Harvard. You graduate. What What was next? What was the plan?
2: So when I finished school... Um, I, I went through the normal rigors of investment banking interviews, consulting interviews, kind of the mainstream, what most Harvard kids do when they're done. Um, and never in my life, Doug, have I felt more of an imposter, more of a fraud, um, putting on those suits, sitting through those interviews. I had zero interest. In the banking world and in finance, um, my ambitions and goals were, uh, you know, were never. I'm going to be this super, you know, financially successful person. Um, and and I think part of it was I was scared too. I was like, could I handle this? Could I? Could the way I feel physically and mentally, could I go to New York City and really work as an investment banking analyst? The hours and the stress and the competition and. I looked, I looked for an easier, softer way. I really did. I I thought maybe if I could get into sports, something that comes more natural to me, something I was more passionate about, um, it would be an easier fit for me. And, um, so I spent just as much time sending resumes out to NFL football teams. I sent some stuff out to, to major league baseball teams and basketball teams as well. Football was really where I focused. Um, and I was very fortunate to get, a, to get a six-week internship in Jacksonville with the Jacksonville Jaguars the summer that I graduated. No guarantees that it was going to turn into anything. Just six weeks, come down here. It's basically a football ops intern. And, and after that, you're done. And I had some buddies that lived in Jacksonville Beach. So I said, hey, if, you know, I'll go down there for six weeks. And then I'll just go you know, hang out with them until I figure out what's next. Um, And I was very fortunate at the end of that six weeks. They asked me to stay for the entire season. And so I got to be a football ops intern for the entire season in Jacksonville. This is my first year out of college. What year is this? This is is 2002 Tom Coughlin's last year in Jacksonville. Um, I was the horn boy at practice. I stood next to Tom Coughlin and would blow the horn between each period. And you don't mess up the horn with Tom Coughlin. So I, was, I would walk around paranoid and scared to death for two hours every day, making sure I didn't mess up the horn.
1: Well, Okay, so what, what were specific horn instructions? Was there a length of time that the horn was supposed to be must be pressed for?
2: Just a short, you know, one second blow as soon as the period's over and you're moving to the next period. Can't be any simpler. Hard to mess up. But every day, two hour practice, lots of periods, you know, there's probably, I'd say two to three times, you know, during the year where, where I got the look and I got the stare and and got a few choice words said to me, but for the most part, I think I handled it well.
1: What, what was he like? I I know that was the end of that. And then he came back obviously with with the giants and they had great success early on with the Jags, right. Going to the AFC championship game. Um, but he's always been seen as a disciplinarian. I, that was that was always like his mo. The weird part about it was, if I remember his last couple of years with the Giants. They're like the most penalized team in the league. So it's like, well, is he? In, what's he really like?
2: So, it, it, just one year, obviously, my first exposure to the NFL. So, you know, I don't know shit. I don't know anything. What I'm what I'm seeing <laughs> if this is normal or not. Um, if he felt very military very generalish you know not very approachable um was the way i always you know kind of sought it you know w- would when i was around him like speak when spoken to you know there was coaches on that staff where i felt i could slide into their office and have a you know have a real conversation and and shoot the shit but obviously i was never going to do that with the head coach so then what so that was uh, the entire, you know, my first year out of college. And, and that ended in around March. They fired the head coach. They fired the personnel people. They kind of kept me around to, to be the, the caddy to drive everybody around and to make sure everyone got where they needed. And then they kind of let me know, okay, you're, you're done. Your time's up.
1: What, what did uh, what, By the way, what did you make that year in Jacksonville?
2: Oh, that's a, you know, I got a free rental car, and they paid me five hundred dollars a week. I remember that.
1: Yeah, but you, you had to be the lowest earner to come out of Harvard in two thousand two. Like, right? You know, like I got average salaries. Yeah. Like, was, oh man! Like, let's <laughs> cut out the highest and lowest. Let, let's cut <laughs> out Lucas because that, that guy he's just killing us.
2: Yeah, I had I had a I had a rental car because they needed me to drive all the players around. You know, the to the physicals and to the workouts um and uh i was staying basically for free on the beach with some friends um making 500 bucks a week i honestly i thought i was rich i thought i was killing it and um uh but then that ended you know that that, that soon ended and i was um down on the beach doing the same deal all all 31 teams trying to get in did not get in after the draft uh you know after that year and um Jacksonville was get, getting ready to host the first Super Bowl in 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 the franchise's history, uh, Super Bowl 39. It was Philadelphia and New England, and they were going to work on a, a basically a, a project to uh, help raise funds for the improvements that needed to be done to the stadium in order to host the Super Bowl. So part of this project was packaging Super Bowl tickets, hotel rooms and parties selling them to these companies and wealthy individuals um, and the money they raised would help, you know, offset the cost to the capital improvements to the stadium and they needed workers. And they asked me if I'd be interested in doing that. And and they said, Hey, it'll keep you in the building. You're not going to be doing anything with football. Um, You're going to be managing hotel rooms and guest lists and party lists and doing ops work. And, and I said, hell yeah, you know, if it keeps me in the building, I'll do it. And so that's what I ended up doing for really the next year and a half. Um, during that time, they let me intern during the summertime in the football uh, person, in the player personnel. So I got to meet some scouts, got to meet some people that are decision makers. Um, and it helped bridge me to eventually my first full time job. But yeah, those last two years in Jacksonville, it was nothing to do with football, it was all just. Yeah, two years of it. Yeah, it was was about a year and a half, you know, um, until they until they hosted that Super Bowl, and so you want to talk about not making a lot of money that 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 year and a half, you know, because I didn't have the car, I had to get an apartment, pay rent, so then that's when I was really felt feeling more squeezed. Um, But honestly, I I I I felt I was on the right track. Because I I was still involved and and I was close and even though I was on the perimeter, um, I I had I had some feeling that hey this 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 is going to lead to a job at some point.
1: Okay, so how did you get? Was New Orleans was next, right?
2: So after um, that job, that Super Bowl got played. So that had been Super Bowl thirty nine, and and so obviously. The games played in early February. We kind of wrapped up our duties and in, in probably in March. And I just waited for the draft because I knew the hiring and firing season for scouts was after the draft. And after the draft, probably two or three weeks, same deal, nothing. Like lots of phone calls, lots of maybes. I just wanted to be a scouting assistant and get in somewhere. And it it came down, Doug, till to like second third week in may where i was starting to call some of my harvard connections to say hey maybe maybe banking doesn't sound so bad or maybe consulting might be a good idea for me um because i knew at some point i had to like really start making money I, I remember i remember to this day sitting in my apartment getting on pro football talk and reading that the new orleans saints had just lost a bunch of scouts they had left on their own um and the director of, of uh, college scouting in new Orleans was a personnel director in Jacksonville when I was in Jacksonville for three years. Oh, what's his name? His name's Rick Riprish, And um, so I had at least one person I could call. Um, I found out through a bunch of people that they were going to bring in a bunch of young guys to interview. They were going to hire a couple of scouting assistants and a couple of scouts, and i just remember like if this is, if i don't get this this is it like this is i'm done like i got to go find something else and um new orleans flew me out and uh they hired me as a scouting assistant in 2005 um i moved to new orleans in in july of 2005 was there for 10 days and hurricane katrina hit so that that was my that was my welcome to new orleans welcome to new orleans experience what, 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 so where were you so I was uh, I evacuated with the team we evacuated to um, out to San Jose, California because we were playing um, our final preseason game against Oakland on a Thursday. So we evacuated out on Sunday or Monday before the storm hit. Um, we spent a, you know a good week out in California and then we relocated to San Antonio and uh, spent the entire season out in San Antonio and that was um, that was that was an experience you know, practicing on high school baseball fields. Team was a mess, as you can imagine. You know, it was it was the final year of Coach Hazlitt and Aaron Brooks. There was a lot of talent, um, but you could just imagine, like, the dysfunction and, and how hard it is to keep a team together amidst relocating to a different city, like, in the middle of the season, you know, during the season. Um, we won our first game of the season at Carolina – and I remember thinking it was going to be this special, magical year, and, and we finished three and 13. Oh,
1: what was Aaron much
2: better? Just you know, tr- transitioning from Aaron to, um, to Drew Brees in consecutive years, commitment, putting in the time physically he had all ability in the world. I was just there for one year and it was a bad year. So it's it's probably not, you know, I'm probably not a great person to speak on it. Um and just from what I saw, it was just so loose. I just saw a lot of guys that were just kind of checked out, just to be honest with you. Um and I felt, you know, he he kind of was on that side. Um so that that's kind of all I saw there in Brooks, you know, and 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 I he had some, you know, good years in the league and, and took that team to the playoffs. So
1: yeah that was like their first playoff appearance. Okay, so um, but when the coach gets fired, you got to be like, all right, do I? am I going to go have to find another job?"
2: I wasn't too concerned. I had felt that I had gotten, um, you know gotten to know all the guys really well in the personnel department. It was a young staff. Um, Mickey Loomis, who's still the GM in New Orleans, was the GM. And as soon as I knew he, you know, he was the person that was going to be hiring the next head coach. Um, You know, I felt I felt okay as far as having some stability in New Orleans. Um, I thought I had made a good impression that year. Um, And, you know, throughout all this time. I was still I still felt. I these people that. I, I knew I needed to ask for help, and that's the gist of the whole, the, whole, the whole time I was at Harvard, the whole time I was in Jacksonville, the beginning of my New Orleans experience. I knew the way I felt on a day-to-day basis was not healthy and not um, allowing me to be my best. I was so terrified to ask somebody for help because I didn't want them to think I was defective. You know, I wanted to be known as the bright Harvard young scout that had this upward track. You know, and
1: so when you say you don't, you don't feel right. Like what? If you give me a, like a layer, what, what, what I could peel back the layer. Obsessive,
2: nonstop, frightening thoughts, um, constantly worrying. Thoughts of what? Oh, you you name it. Anything that would I could read a current event. You know the the you know climate climate change and the hurricanes going on. I could read a story in the newspaper, and it would sit in my mind for weeks, and and paralyze me, and and it made it very difficult to do my work. Um, physically, I felt extremely tight and uncomfortable. I got to the point early on in my career in New Orleans as a scouting assistant and as a as an area scout. Where I'd wake up in the morning kind of scared that, you know, can I get through this day and do all this work? Just 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 the, the watching all the film, all the typing, like, can I handle this? Um, and then once that fear sets in, now you're just in this constant neurosis and, and worrying about home all the time, worrying about my dad, worrying about my brother. Um, I can't explain it any other way, Doug, than it was nonstop. Um, and and I really knew that um, at some point I was gonna need to find a way to to change things because there's no way I'm gonna be able to continue to live like this. Um, and and I think anyone around me, um, you know, I I just did a really good job of 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 portraying that I was okay, that I was doing okay, and that that um, things were all right. And as long as I had a job in the NFL, and I was I was employed and, and you know people thought that was really cool and that I was doing okay um that that's just how I existed and survived for several years
1: so when when did you medicate yourself
2: so I I, I mental health brought me to my knees when I was 31 years old that's probably how not, not probably we won the Super Bowl in 2009 the very next year Um, What would happen, Doug, is every summer we'd get these three months off and I would make all these changes and and convince myself this next year I'm going to feel better mentally and physically. I would acupuncture, new massage, new trainer, new diet, whatever I could read that could help me feel better mentally and physically, I would try it. And that's what I would be obsessed with. And I remember... I same pattern, same routine. I get on the road. It's my very first week on the road. I'm thirty years old. I'm in uh, Oklahoma, and then I have to drive out to West Texas um to this is on school calls, you know in in August, so training camp for for college football. And I remember being on that drive out to West Texas and feeling that same pain again in my in my lower back and my hip. Same racing thoughts in my head over and over again. This is like day one. And I had my first real full panic attack when I was at West Texas University the very next day. I remember interviewing a coach, asking him about one of the players, very standard interview. Um, And I remember he was talking and all I could see his face was his mouth moving, but I couldn't hear anything. I couldn't hear what he was saying. I couldn't make out what he was saying. Um, and I knew the trainer at West Texas really, well, Seth. And I went downstairs and I told him, I said, hey, I don't, I don't feel right. Something's going on. They, tested, they took me to like the actual nurse's office. They tested my blood pressure. They gave me like a granola bar to eat, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, you know, I went out to the practice field and, and, and didn't feel right at all. Um, but told my I was okay, obviously. And and I ended up leaving. And I drove from West Texas to Lubbock. And as soon as I got to Lubbock, Texas, I drove straight to the hospital. I checked myself in and said, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I can't go another day living like this. I don't know if it's my heart. I don't know what it is. Um, and they they thought I might be having like some kind of heart condition. So they rushed me to the back. Um, And I spent eight hours in that emergency room that night. Probably no more than that. It was probably 10 or 12 and went through a battery of tests, all kinds of tests. And doctor came to my bed at 2 a.m. in the morning and he looked at me and he said, I got good news and I got bad news. And he said, the good news is you're perfectly healthy. He's like, he's like, the bad news is you need a lot of help. You need somebody to talk to because there's a lot of stuff that um, is causing this stress and anxiety has anybody ever told you about the anxiety and i said no i've 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 always felt like this um i just i've gotten to the point where i can't deal with it anymore and that doctor looked at me and said you need to call the new orleans saints and and tell them you're going to need you know four to six weeks off of work this is what i'm recommending for you go back to dallas because that's where my home base was find a doctor and find a therapist. And um, you you need to get this under wraps because it's just going to get worse if you don't start talking and you don't start getting some therapy. And he said, I'm going to give you two prescriptions. um, And this is just for these next four to six weeks. This is just a crutch until you get the help that you need. And he gave me a prescription of um, Klonopin for my anxiety. And he gave me a prescription of Norco um for my all the pain that i was having in my low back and my hip when i was driving and never had taken Klonopin before obviously i had exposure to pain pills in the past um and he told me when i go back to the hotel drive back to dallas when you wake up and and start getting some help and i drove to the hotel got the prescriptions filled in the morning took a Klonopin and took the the norco Within 30 minutes, never felt better in my life. Drove to Lubbock, did the school call, worked for eight hours, felt amazing. Drove back to Dallas, didn't say a word to anybody at the Saints, didn't look for help. I just looked for a doctor that would prescribe me that medication. And for the next 18 months, Doug, it was the most clear, the most the most serene the most peaceful i'd ever felt i was very open to people about what what i had found and these are the medications i was taking and this has really helped me to my wife to my dad to the people you know that that worked close to me i i didn't hide anything from anyone and i was uh, of the impression that i was cured that that my my issues and all this stress and all this anxiety was done and for the next next 18 months It was, you know, I got promoted at work. I remember thinking like all these things that were holding me back in my life are now over. Um, And then it got to this point where what they were prescribing wasn't meeting like the way I needed to feel every day. And I went into the doctor's office and I I talked to the doctor uh, in Dallas and said, you know, hey, I, I need more. Like, it's not, I don't feel the same as I did when I first started taking it. And, and she, she was like, no, you need to start taking less. And this is where kind of for me, I, I instead of really bearing down and reaching out for help, I went off on my own and I started buying, you know, prescription pain pills on the street. Um, And how, how do you do it? Just through friends, through, you know, talking to people at the gym. But
1: like how? Like, I mean, I've, I've been, I've been to a hundred gyms. No one's ever gone like, Hey man, like, how do you, how do you know somebody might be the hookup?
2: Oh, I mean, to the, the very first person I bought them from, um, you know, was someone that was in Dallas that we talked about it openly, you know, at the gym because I used, obviously was using the Norco for for several months um, prior to ever like really buying them illegally or like buying them off the street, um, I had some friends that in Jacksonville that I knew used them. Um, you know, I knew enough people that that had connection to them, and and that's when I started buying them, and that's when my life really started to take a turn for the worse. Um, and and like what? You know, I, I was I was a functioning addict. You know, from 31 years old until, um, May of 2017, um, you know, for about seven, eight years there where my life became, how do I have, make sure I have enough medication to function through the day. And, and that's all my life was. I isolated, I, I separated from all my friends. Um, you know, my, I was married and obviously, you know, she she knew something was up i i hit her i hit it from her how serious it was um and that's what my life became just a survival mode like making sure i have enough medication to feel okay and make sure i can get my job done that's that was the bottom line like i just i disassociated from a lot of friends um and and through all this you know was a promotion to become the personnel director with the bears All right. That's
1: it for Josh Lucas part two. We'll drop part three very, very soon. Uh, A reminder, you you can listen to the Doug Gottlieb show three to five Eastern. Uh, We also have an hour pod on that. So just type in Doug Gottlieb. And if you like this stuff, if you like this content, there's a lot more of it. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is all ball.